So tonight we're in Proverbs 29. If you have a Bible, let's go ahead and open up there. A lot of practical stuff as we go through the Proverbs. And it's kind of cool because um, my prayer is that God will bless you with wisdom. You know, I know myself growing up as a young man, I didn't have wisdom. I didn't have common sense. I didn't have a lot. But then as I became a Christian, I started reading the scriptures and I started learning more and more. And by the grace of God, going through the Proverbs and by the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, he's given me victory. But I haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. And that's why it's so cool to continue to go through the Proverbs. My prayer is that it'll bless your life. Any of you guys here ever struggle with anger? Uh, there's a lot of a lot of people, unfortunately, that struggle with things like that or maybe taming your tongue, um, different things we see very practical, uh, whether you're a parent or a child, uh, uh, justice, just stuff that is so important to us. And so we begin in verse 1, Proverbs 29. It says, He who is often rebuked and hardens his neck will suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And so that sounds pretty intense, how huh, you guys suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And so how do you get to that place? You get to that place if you continue to harden your neck, if you continue to fight the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit as God speaks to you, you know, and God speaks to me. And sometimes when I get corrected, I get all prideful and I resist it. And the Lord says, stop it. If you, if you resist you know, your corrections and the rebukes and the way that I want you to grow, uh, then your hard neck will eventually turn into a hard heart. And then one day you're going to cross a line. Suddenly, one day something crazy happens and that without remedy. And I can tell you guys, over the 30 years I've been a Christian, I can tell you I've seen a lot of guys with this amazing calling or whatever, this life, this amazing family, and just fall off the, the side of a cliff. Now you don't know where they are. You thought they had so much potential. Why? Because they resisted the voice of the Holy Spirit. You know, Manny, I talk to myself, pay attention to those warnings. Don't harden your neck because it inevitably leads to a hardness of heart. And so we want to stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit. I think that can happen individually. We saw it in the life of Pharaoh. It can happen nationally. We see that in the nation of Israel. There's, uh, you guys remember the northern kingdom fell, and after them the southern kingdom of Judah fell as well. And so prior to their fall, though, the Lord sent them prophet after prophet after prophet, but they would not listen. And the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 36, 15 and 16, the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. So the Lord warned them over and over again, hey, you guys, come back to me. We need to be in right relationship. And they would not listen until finally, you guys uh, remember what happened? The Babylonians came in 586 B.C., they surrounded Jerusalem and they conquered the city and they carried him away captive. And so prayerfully, you guys, myself included, because the Lord's always correcting me, the Lord's always talking to me, that we truly would change, that we truly would grow, that we truly would listen. 
Verse 2, it says, When the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice. But when a wicked man rules, the people groan. We should all try groaning. Ah. <laughs> what a drag, man. When that happens, I mean, remember, Solomon wrote the, the Proverbs, and so he writes a lot to rulers, a lot to kings and those who are in authority. And in one sense, he's making a statement right here. Uh, in those days, uh, it was a monarchy, and so it's a little different. Um, if you're a king in a monarchy, the question is, is he going to have a good son? Because if he has a good son, then we end up with a good king. But sometimes you had good kings who had bad sons. You had bad kings who had good sons. That's the southern kingdom. And then there was the northern kingdom where there were different dynasties, 20 different kings, nine different dynasties. And so you just kind of wonder who we're going to end up with. Just know that the one up there who's ruling, uh, who, you know, the, the president, the governor, the mayor, it, it makes a difference down here. And so what he's saying right here is when there's a righteous person, there's rejoicing, praise God, there's somebody that the Lord put there. And, and then when there's an unrighteous person, it's the one that we ask for, kind of like a Saul versus a David. Big, big difference. And that's why I want to encourage you, some of you guys, run for president, okay? <laughs> run for mayor. Uh, we're blessed. We, we know we've got some Christians on, on the city council in Almani, but um, we need more. We need more. Verse uh, 3, it says, whoever loves wisdom. You guys love wisdom? Whoever loves wisdom makes his father rejoice, but a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. And we talked about this a lot. You know, the interesting thing is that in one sense, of course, we know Solomon is, is building up the kingdom of God, but he's also, in one sense, caring about the community. And so he talks about leaders and kings and those in authority, and hopefully they'll have a good influence upon, upon the people. But he's also talking about families. And, and I think, ultimately, the primary influence will be the family if they take their responsibility seriously. Husbands influencing wives, wives influencing husbands, parents influencing children, and maybe grandchildren. So I think that you, when you have them in your home, you have a little bit more of an influence as long as you don't neglect them. And we'll talk about that later. You know, because some parents will just leave their kids on the devices and they're just watching television and there's no interaction, there's no attention. Of course, that's different. But if you're an engaged parent, if you're an engaged grandparent, husband, wife, then you will be a better influence in the world. And so, you know, what we see right here, it's interesting. You know, you were talking about a dad who has kids and when his kids are wise, when those kids love wisdom, you can talk to any parent, huh? and they'll tell you, man, that's the, that's the happiest thing, that, that's the greatest gift that I can ever have in life, is that my kids serve the Lord. You know, we've talked about this a million times. Third John chapter 1, verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. And, and of course, the contrary is true as well. It says, a, a companion of harlots wastes his wealth. And so when I read this, I, I, I was thinking about the prodigal son. You know, you've got one instance of a, a young person who's wise, they love wisdom, and then you've got this one over here, and they're spending their money on prostitutes. And that's what we see. Even in the world that we live in today, 
I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but there's $186 billion spent on prostitutes in the world that we live in today. China, number one, even though it's not technically, it's not legal, um, $73 billion uh, every year on prostitutes in China. Spain is second. After that is Japan. And then Germany. Now, Germany, most of you probably know, uh, prostitution is legal there. And so it's an industry, it includes brothels and job offers through HR companies and you name it. They have their, um, you know, the, the whole government, uh, I guess you could say, um, approval, approval. And so they're, I think, in, in, in Germany, an $18 billion industry. And so, you know, it's out there, you guys. And so um, for us, when I read that proverb, it makes me want to be a good parent, Definitely. And hopefully, if there's any kids out there that's listening, that's reading this, it, it would make you want to be a good child because you want your parents to rejoice. And whenever I think about my father rejoicing, I think about my heavenly father. When you guys are doing good, when you guys are serving the Lord the way that you should, and you're staying pure, you know, you're not doing the, the things, the wisdom of the world, um, when you're there, your heavenly father rejoices. And so verse 4, it says, The king establishes a land by justice, but he who receives bribes overthrows it. And so again, talking about kings, talking about rulers, and hopefully they don't have you know, a price. You know, whatever it is, they, they might end up, you know, unfortunately leading in a way that is not just. Now, right here where it says uh, he receives bribes, that could just be straight out, you know, lobbying, uh, it could also refer to taxes, believe it or not. The, the word is in reference to sacred, uh, sacred uh, funds. And so in the United States of America, we have a lot of lobbying going on. They say it's an industry, again, legal, $4 billion industry where they're paying. Supposedly, they're not supposed to guarantee the vote from the politician, but there's an influence going on there that's actually legal. And so uh, we see here um, that we as leaders, we have to have a heart that's just. Verse 5, it says, A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. And so um, whose feet? Whose feet does he spread the net for? More than likely, it's the one who is flattered, right? But I think it kind of works both ways. The word to flatter, it literally means a smooth speech or a seductive speech. It's talk that deceives because it usually intends to harm. You know, and, and so we have here uh, flattery. Uh, sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes it's luring someone uh, in order to loot them. Um, you can flatter someone to try to influence them immediately, or you can gradually flatter someone. Maybe you want to get your way eventually. Flattery is an interesting thing because I don't know about you, but I like to say good things about people. I look at a person and I just, for whatever reason, the way that I'm wired, I kind of like to see the good in people and I like to encourage them with things, right? And so there's nothing wrong with a sincere compliment. It's okay to be kind and encouraging and to look for the good in others. But it's not okay to just say things in order to get things. It's not okay to say things that you really don't mean 
in order to get what you want. And so for us as flatterers, uh, we had to be careful that we're not manipulating, that there's no ulterior motives because God sees all that. Um, but if people are talking, you know, nice to you, just use wisdom. Just use wisdom, okay? I don't want you guys to be suspicious of anyone, of everyone who says good things. But just as we're looking at it right here, there's a net a lot of times that is being spread. You know, and as a pastor, I, over the years, I've seen a lot of different things and a lot of people tell me things in order to get maybe a certain position or a certain place and they got it and then it was, it was done. So be careful. You have to pray about the Lord leading you and making all the decisions that you make and not just the one who uh, thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread, okay? Verse 6, it says, By transgression, an evil man is snared, but the righteous sings and rejoices. And so uh, an evil man, he gets trapped, talking about spreading a net. You know, the sin, that's what happens, right? We, 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 we reap what we, what we sow, right? But isn't it interesting, the contrast here? So the, the evil man, through his transgression, he ends up trapping himself. But the one who's righteous, the one who's pure, the one who loves the Lord, the one who loves people, what does he do? He sings. It's kind of cool. He sings and he rejoices. And I thought that was cool. When I, when I read that, I was really kind of like thinking just about the freedom that we have when you're doing it for the right reason, when you really love the Lord. I, I love you, Jesus. I thank you for the cross. I know I'm not a perfect man, but I love these people too. And there's something about that that just frees you. You're, you're free to sing. You're free to rejoice. But when you're caught up in transgression, it's like you get stuck in this cell. You're, you're tripped. You're trapped. And it's like just a, and a complete contrast in that. Verse 7, it says, The righteous considers the cause of the poor, but the wicked does not understand such knowledge. Okay, so you can't say you're wise if you do not help the poor. You want to know why I know that? Because you read this 35 times in the Proverbs over and over again about God saying you should help the poor. You should help the poor. Don't give money to those who refuse to work or won't work. But do consider those who can't work. And there are, just in case you're wondering, there are a lot of poor people out there. And so part of being wise, we're seeing it in the book of Proverbs, is somewhere in your life you have to find some type of cause, some type of person who's down and out that you can help out in a way that is, you know, beneficial. You know, right here we see the righteous, he considers the cause of the poor. What we find is one's relationship to God shows up in his attitude towards the needy. You can tell a lot about them. The wicked, they don't care. They don't consider the poor. They're, you know, they're not saved, and so they don't understand the concept. Some don't even have a problem stealing from them, right? But for us, it was, it's different. You know, like Job said in Job 29, 16, I was a father to the poor, and I searched out the case that I did not know. And that's an interesting thing because sometimes we might have a little thought like, I wonder if they need help, but we don't look into it. Job said, man, I, I looked into it. That was his heart. And so these things should inspire us. 
If you say you're wise, let me ask you a question. How do you help the poor? We see it over and over and over again. Psalm 41 verse 1 says, Blessed is he who considers the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. And you guys probably noticed that, huh? You cannot outgive God. You can't. Verse 8, it says, Scoffers set a city aflame, but wise men turn away wrath. Talk about a verse for our generation. We saw this, huh, in the protests. Imagine that. These guys riling things up, stirring things up, setting cities on fire. Imagine that. We see these troublemakers. They get others angry. They incite rebellion. But the wise, however, they calm a city down by averting anger and its results. Verse 9, it says, If a wise man contends with a foolish man, whether the fool rages or laughs, there is no peace. Have you guys ever, like, you know, been around somebody and they're, you just kind of know they're different or maybe they're foolish. You just know it. They're something about them and... It doesn't matter if they're yelling or if they're laughing. You don't trust them either way, right? And that's kind of what he's saying right here. They, they can't be trusted. If a wise man contends with a foolish man, the, the word in the Hebrew, it usually talks about going to court, you know, in connection with some uh, type of, of lawsuit. And it just, there's just no winning. There's just no winning with them. Derek Kidner said the general sense is clear there is no arguing calmly with a fool. And so, again, we ask God, Lord, lead me. Lord, guide me. We just got to know these things. Verse 10, it says, The bloodthirsty hate the blameless, but the upright seek his well-being. And so I was even looking at this verse and even seen in the way Satan hated Job. You know, one of the goals I think that we have in life is to be blameless. I don't want no hidden sin in my life, nothing. I don't want the enemy to have any ammunition to be able to say, oh, look at what Manny is doing, and, you know, it's true. Uh, I want to be blameless, and I know, I bet you, you guys too, too, right? So if you want to be blameless, then more than likely you're going to be hated, and the enemy's going to come after you hardcore. And that's what we see right here. Yeah, the bloodthirsty, they hate the blameless. But the contrast with us is that the upright, they seek his well-being. And we got to look out for each other, you guys. Because understanding that if you're like in love with the Lord, if you really do love the Lord, if you really do love others, then you're going to have a big bullseye on your back. And that's why we have to watch out for each other. Verse 11, it says, A fool vents all his feelings, but a wise man holds them back. Uh, you guys probably have vents at your house, right? You just open them up and you let it out, right? And the air comes out. And, and that's uh, the mentality of some people. They just open up their mouth and just, they don't think before they speak, you know? And just, you know, they shoot from the hip. And the Bible says that that's, that's a fool. It's not wise. It kind of reminds me of throw up. That's what happens, right? You know, what we need is, is, is an interesting verse. A fool just vents all his feelings. Well, if this is how I feel, so I'm just going to say it. 
Well, I'm not saying you should necessarily suppress your feelings. Uh, feelings, maybe, in, in one sense, can be indicators of things that you need to pray about. You can't change the way you feel. You can't, right? Hopefully, eventually you can. If your feelings are wrong and you lead your heart, hopefully your feelings will follow, but it is what it is. So let's just say you're struggling with somebody. Pray about it. Say, Lord, I'm struggling with this individual. Can you kill them? No, I'm just joking. You wouldn't do that, right? <laughs> You're saying, Lord, I'm struggling with this individual, and you give it to God. But you don't just say, hey, you know, I just want to let you know I'm struggling with you and whatever. And it's like, you know, I don't know if that's always the right thing to do. But some people, they're just like, well, I'm just going to say it. And they just vomit. They just say stuff. And I'm like, man, again, as we go through the Proverbs, we're learning. Uh, Lord, set a guard over my lip. Keep watch over the door of my mouth. Later, we're going to see more about what we need to do as we tame this tongue. Now, now, the interesting thing about this verse right here, it says a fool vents all his feelings, but it says a wise man holds them back. And so in, in, you look at it in the surface and you're thinking, well, he wants to say this, but he's just kind of holding it down, holding it down. But in the Hebrew language, it's different. In the Hebrew language, it says it calms it back. It's like stealing a storm. The verb is used only here and in Psalm 65.7 and Psalm 89.9 where it refers to calming the sea's waves. And, and so basically we find, as one person said, the stealing of a storm speaks of anger overcome, not merely checked. I mean, have you ever been there where, you know, the Lord just gave you strength and if it weren't for the Lord, you probably would have just been so upset? But you just had this peace that he gave you, and you just, it just, everything got diffused by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what God wants. He says, hey, a fool vents all his feelings, but no, wise men and women, they just still the storm. Like there's this tranquility that is supernatural. Don't you guys think that's how God wants us to act? How many of you guys struggle with that? <laughs> we, we, Lord, help me. Lord, help me, because I want this. I want to be like you, Jesus. Verse 12, it says, If a ruler pays attention to lies, all his servants become wicked. So again, we're, we're talking about leaders. We're talking about rulers. Uh, again, he's saying right here, if you pay attention to lies, then that's going to influence those that you're serving, all those who serve with you. And so if a ruler takes the advice of liars, that's probably one way to look at it. It could be the lies of his advisors. It could even be the lies of the reporters. As a ruler, bottom line is, don't pay attention to lies. You know, we live in the land of lies. And so that's going to be very difficult and challenging for us, right? Fake news with different agendas. And even if you're, you know, not of that occupation, the population is just as bad, right? You're going to hear it from the reporters. You're going to hear it from your friends. You're going to hear it from people you work with, whatever. You're hearing all this stuff. And what ends up happening is uh, you're paying. Sometimes people are paying attention. Sometimes they're even focused on lies. And so we have to be so careful, right? Uh, people believing what's just being fed to them, that's what's happening. Or people believing what they want to believe. Well, this, I like what this guy says, and it kind of jives with me, and so I'm sure that you know it's true. Well, how do you know for sure it's true? 
You know, for me, I'm like, man, I am so careful. I get something sent to me. They, you know, they say this or that. I always check it because I know there are many lies that are being propagated from so many different angles. You know, you get people today that are paying attention to lies. It's almost as if they can't think for themselves. It's like, wait a minute, you're smarter than that. You know what logic is. You know what reasoning is. You have to look into things. You have to investigate things. And so if you're a ruler especially, you don't just pay attention to lies. You look into things and you make sure that things are validated, things are completely true, not just partially true, not just a rumor, not just a possibility. Because if that's the way you lead, then that's the way those that you serve with will lead as well. And man, let me tell you, that's a train wreck. It really is. Verse 13, it says, The poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both. And so the Lord obviously loves the poor man. Um, and what we see right here is he's, you know, he's kind of compared to the oppressor. Now, oppressor, when I think of that word, that's big time bad. That's extremely evil. Someone who oppresses others. But what we find right here is the Lord loves them. The Lord loves them. The Lord made them. It says in uh, uh, chapter 22 and verse 2, at common origin, we read Proverbs 22, 2, the rich and the poor have this in common. The Lord is maker of them all. He made them all. Job chapter 3 and verse 19, it says that they're not only common in life, but they're common in death. They're both going to die the same way. But then when you read the Gospel of Matthew, it goes beyond the social implications of the saying, and it goes to the spiritual by placing his followers at the giving end as well as the receiving end. Look at that verse, Matthew 5, 44 through 45. Jesus said, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So theologians, they call it common grace, how the Lord, he made them all, uh, they're equal, and he maintains them, he takes care of them. And that's what we see in this verse, that the poor man and the oppressor, they have this in common, that the Lord gives light to the eyes of both. Now what they do with that light, it's up to them. So you see a poor man, you see a, a rich man, you see an oppressor, you see someone that is the opposite. Bottom line is, if we're going to be like Jesus, we need to treat people uh, equally. Verse 14, it says, The king who judges the poor with truth, his throne will be established forever. And again, we're talking about kings and governors and leaders. And we want to just make sure that we are fair and impartial. And you guys know, uh, as husbands here, you're leaders. You know, it applies in so many ways. Sometimes you got people at work and they are in a leadership position. Or sometimes God will uh, put you in a place where you're in a ministry as a leader. And so we want to make sure that we are, we are judging, we are ruling with impartially. You know, God says, if that's the king's heart, and of course we're talking about a context in which there is a monarchy, uh, God says then... 
this guy's going to be there. He's got a secure place. I'm going to take care of him. Verse 15, it says, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. And so uh, kids, children, you guys know this, right? They're born sinners. You guys know that? Uh, oh, man, I think it was Vody Bachman I, I saw. We've got to pray for him. He's going through trials, but I think he did a study the other day, and he called them vipers and diapers. That's what he said, something like that. <laughs> and I, you guys got to hear it. Uh, maybe I'll send out the link. It is so funny about how, you know, we got to know that in sin, my mother conceived me. We have this original sin. We have this Adamic nature. We're born with it, right? And so if you just leave a child to themselves, then he says right here, then they'll bring shame to their mother. And so what do they need? Verse 15, they need the rod and, and rebuke. If you jump down to verse 17, I just want to touch on that too because it's the same thing. It says, correct your son and he will give you rest. Yes, he will give delight to your soul. And so, again, talking about correcting our children. Now, in the world today, they'll tell you not to, not to spank them. You know, uh, this is crazy what Dr. Spock initiated. But I, I do encourage you, especially if you have little ones and it's necessary, um, you know, give them you know, the discipline. It's an actually something they need. Um, don't bruise them don't mark them don't do it with anger please whatever you do uh for the most part and you know i think god will probably lead you guys individually but i think god gave us a little padding right there that's probably a good place where you can maybe take a little rod or some wooden paddle or something i don't know um and you you know you, you just let it sting let them feel the consequences of, of disobedience. Let them feel it. You know, but it's interesting how he says the rod and rebuke. And so either it's a combination or it's an and or. There has to be a correction. It can't just be, oh, I'm going to beat you. No, explain to me what I did wrong. Explain to them you know, the, 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 the thing that they need to learn through this whole thing. Tell them you love them. Now, you can probably talk to most parents and they'll tell you, it's not that easy because they got me mad. <laughs> but this is why it's very important that we discipline our children the way that God disciplines us. Don't you think that when God disciplines us, it's, it's with love? It's, it's with compassion? But he is, he is faithful to deliver us, right? To discipline us. Disciplining one son results in the parents having peace and joy because later their child will grow and behave wiser. And you have examples in the Bible like Eli who didn't discipline his sons and they died. David too. Now the difficulty with David is that David, he fell into such a severe sin and although God did forgive him for his sin of adultery and murder, it, it hit him to a point where he felt, I don't really have the right to discipline my children, you know, Amnon and uh, Absalom, and it ended up being their ruin as well. And so for us, you guys, we have to take these things to heart. Verse 16, it says, When the wicked are multiplied, transgression increases, but the righteous will see 
their fall. You know, and there is a difference between addition and multiplication. Addition is bad enough. More and more people. You guys see it today, huh? Uh, more and more people are, are, you know, bad, wicked, not going to church. They don't know Bible stories. I mean, they're being inundated with the doctrines of this world, and, and it's happening fast. And so, you know, addition is one thing, but then multiplication is another. And that's what we see going on right now. The wicked will eventually fall, and the righteous will live to see it. And that's what we have in this passage. Verse 18 says, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. How many of you want to be happy, just out of curiosity? You know, you, you want to be happy, right? Um, of course, I don't know what your concept of happiness is. I know that I want to have a smile on my heart, primarily. You know, you want joy. And I want to make my father happy. How is that possible? And the answer is when you, when you keep the law. Now, it says right here, where, where there is no revelation, the people, they cast off restraint. Or as the NLT puts it, when people do not accept divine guidance, they, they run wild. But whoever obeys the law is joyful. And so um, where there is no vision, okay, means two things. Number one, revelation. Where there is no revelation of God's word, where there is no, you know, reading the Bible and heeding the Bible, where there is no scriptures that you don't have to be your guide, you know, you're going to have no restraints, right? But it also, where, where there is no vision, it's also talking about relation. So it's revelation and relation, where it's like a fresh word from God. You know, and we all need that. It can't just be dry. It can't just be objective. I believe it has to be experiential. I believe it has to be subjective. And I believe, you guys, I'm serious, that if you open your heart and you open your ears, you will hear the voice of God. And it will be His revelation in a relational way. God will speak to you. And God will use that in your own life and he'll also use it in the life of others. Because remember, that was a problem with Aaron and Moses. They didn't restrain the people. They didn't. And so the people went, they made a golden calf, and they died, so many of them, in that wilderness. And so Aaron fell short in that way. And so for us, the revelation with this relationship that we have with God, whatever you guys do, don't even think for a moment that God doesn't speak to you in a personal way. Because he does. It'll never contradict his word. It'll always come through his word and it'll always, you know, you know, jive with it. But that's important in life. We have to make sure that we have this fresh vision, this fresh revelation, especially as leaders. Verse 19, it says, A servant will not be corrected by mere words, for though he understands, he will not respond. And so a servant, um, if you wanted to this guy get real, real practical and connect the dots, it might be an employee. But it's really applicable in, in pretty much all relationships, right? You, you know, you just tell them, hey, stop it. For some people, that'll work. How many of you had kids or you've had kids and you tell them, stop it, and they just, boom, you know, they get all afraid, right? Um, how many of you had kids that that didn't work? <laughs> You know, sometimes it requires more than just words, right? 
And so, you know, when you look at whether it be employees or friends, uh, in one sense, they're kind of all the same when it comes to correction and cooperation. You know, we balance it out, I think, as we read through the scriptures. Um, there are some uh, servants that don't need too much discipline, uh, but there are others that, that do. You know, we're going to talk about a pampered servant. If you will, go down to verse 21. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. And so it's interesting when you, when you try to find the balance. You're like, okay, um, when it comes to this servant right here, the words don't help. You know, they, they're not catching it with me just saying it. And so you need to push a, a little more. But, but then later when he talks about pampering a servant, if you pamper them from the beginning, then you end up with not just an employee, you end up with family. And so we're going to see here that there's a balance in all these things. A lot of times it takes more than words. The way that God deals with us, I think, is number one, verbal correction. First he says, hey, Manny, and he begins to speak to me and he convicts me verbally. If that doesn't work, then perhaps um, another thing, they call it circumstantial correction. You know, where something happens and God begins to deal with me, you know, whatever. I, I lost my job or, you know, things. And again, not everybody who loses their job is being disciplined by God, but some might be. You know, some type of calamity. Uh, if you have a kid, you know, and you, you're not, you know, you tell them to stop it and they don't, then you might say, okay, then you're losing your game for, for a couple of days. See, that's circumstantial. But then the other one is physical, where, man, okay, get over here, you know. <laughs> Boom, right? And, and, uh, and God can do that with us too. Now, I will say this. I got to tell you guys this. Sometimes God's disciplining his children, and they think they're Job. When in all reality, they're Jonah. That's something only God can tell you. I got to be careful. I'm not God. I, I, know, I never go up to someone and say, hey, God's, you know, like Job's friends. He's, he's just, you know, giving you a thought on God. So I don't do that. But I just want to encourage you as God's people. You got to know he loves you. You got to know he's going to discipline you. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time he disciplined you? When was and sometimes people are completely oblivious. Oh, I don't know. Why? Because we're not listening. We're not in tune. And so sometimes it takes more than words. And God will give us wisdom as employers, as friends, as people, in order to try to help people in these difficult situations. Verse 20, it says, Do you see a man hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. And this is a huge verse. This is a huge verse. I hope this person's not watching this study, and if you are, I'm sorry, I love you. But um, I ran into this guy the other day at Guitar Center, and oh man, the things that started coming out of his mouth, I'm like, man, you have no filter, huh? I mean, just, just, just saying weird things about me, and I haven't seen this guy in years. You know, but I just played it off. I said, hey, bro, I gotta buy a microphone, so I'll see you later. You know, but some people, I don't know, if maybe he planned on saying it, or, or maybe he just didn't think, but it just came out. And, and the Bible says, you see a person that's hasty in their words, 
They just say it. Oh, there's more hope for a fool than for him. And I'll tell you, as a husband, as a dad, as a friend, I mean, in so many relationships, I regret things that I've said. And they start, like James 3, it says, they, they start a fire. Just that little spark. You shouldn't have said that. Well, it's just a word. But how many times have we read in the Proverbs that that's what messes everything up? Do you realize that you could have peace if you wouldn't just run off, you know, the things that you want to say? Because we have a flesh. We're not perfect yet. We're not in heaven yet. We have a fallen nature until the day that we die. And that fallen nature is going to try to influence us to say things that we shouldn't say. And that's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit all the time, all the time. James 1.19, it says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man, it does not produce the righteousness of God. And I will say this, and I think they kind of feed off of each other, that if you listen, just listen. I know that's hard, but that's one of the most important forms of communication. You listen, then it's going to affect the way you respond. But if you're slow to speak, then that's going to help you not get mad. Then you're going to be slow to wrath. 1 Peter 3.10, it quotes from Psalm 34, and it says, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. And again, how many of you here, want, you want to love life? Like, I, I want to love life. Then if that's you, then you have to refrain your lips, your tongue from speaking evil. Verse 21, again, I want to touch on it real quick. He who pampers his servant from childhood will have him as a son in the end. Now, I know you might have different versions here, so there's actually a couple of different ways of looking at this verse. Uh, there's, this is the only time in the Bible, uh, in the Hebrew, that we have the word uh, that's translated pampers. And so it, it just kind of means to indulge them, to bring them up delicately. The English definition says almost the same thing, to, to be kind and comfort and even spoil them. And so you're a boss, and you have a, a worker, and you pamper them. You're good to them. You treat them well. You almost spoil them. It seems to contradict what we read earlier, but I think there's a balance, and I think we know that when we're dealing with people, God will lead us in what to do, right? He says, right, if you pamper them, then you're going to have them as family. So that's one view, but I need to say this, because in the Hebrew language, this interesting thing, there's a completely different translation. If you have an NIV or NLT, it says, a servant pampered from youth will turn out to be insolent. Or the NLT says, a servant pampered from childhood will become a, a rebel. Now, the reason why there is some merit to this uh, verse uh, translated that way is because the word son is not the typical word Hebrew word translated son, it's only found, again, one time in the whole Bible. And this Hebrew word right here, it has actually uh, means grief or thankless one. And so, again, how do you reconcile everything? Uh, for those of you who maybe are employers or maybe you're leaders and you're wondering, well, then how do I treat people? I think at the end of the day, we all know 
that there's a balance. Usually, if you treat your employees and your friends and your family right, even pampering them a bit, you just love on them, usually they'll love you back, huh? Right? Usually they will, but not always. And so that's where you need the wisdom of God. Uh, pampering them doesn't mean babying them. I mean, you've got to be a leader. You've got to have certain guidelines. But I think if you love on people, the, the general rule of thumb is it'll, it'll be reciprocated. Verse 22, it says, An angry man stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. And so, uh, an angry man, a furious man, it doesn't refer to someone who gets angry occasionally. I think we all do. This is someone who does it frequently. And, and it's probably not a little anger. I mean, this is a furious person right here. I wonder if there are any of you here that, that struggle with this. You know, some people are like that, um, and it can be a struggle for many. I was reading about different types of anger. Uh, I was reading online, really, interesting things about some of these counselors. They're saying there's nothing we can do for these angry, furious people, and it's true. But there is something God can do, huh? But the world, oh, man, they can't, they can't fix you. They are, we get angry at so many things. Have you guys ever experienced road rage where you're on the, what? That guy cuts you off and you get so mad. Um, they have things like road rage, office rage, believe it or not. They have what's called computer rage. Like if your computer's not working well, they say that some people in offices, they get all violent with those around them or even with their computer itself. Uh, they have net rage, phone rage. You get mad on the phone and 26% are more likely to get angry over the phone than you would be in person. Um, to be angry like this, it causes heart attacks, clogged arteries, high cholesterol, causes you to drink and smoke. Uh, it's crazy. 32% of all people say they have a close family member who can be described like this, while only 9% would admit to that being them. Um, but what we find right here, you guys, it says an angry man, he stirs up strife, and a furious man abounds in transgression. Such souls abound in sin, the insults, foul language, yelling, dirty looks, rude. They get physical, sometimes violent and oppressive. Nothing a counselor can do. Nothing. That's what they say. They'll try. They'll send you to anger management. But it won't work. But the Holy Spirit, huh? He can help us. Pastor Chuck Smith actually said that there was a while in his life where he struggled with anger. And the Holy Spirit helped him overcome. James and John, same thing. Sons of thunder. Now they're, they're known as, as men of love. Verse 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. And so we've read this a million times again. Be careful of pride. I find myself, whenever you get angry or whenever you get short, I would encourage you, check yourself for pride. Because that's, I, I see it in myself sometimes. And so the, the rule of thumb is that if you exalt yourself, then God's going to bring you down. But if you just humble yourself, you're just honest with who you are, then God's going to raise you up. A life wrapped up in itself makes a very small package. Verse 24 says, Whoever is a partner with a thief hates his own life. He swears to tell the truth, but he reveals nothing. And so you don't want that to be you. You guys don't hate your own life, do you? 
And so don't be an accomplice of those things. If you're the driver of that crime, such people are just as guilty as the one who used the gun to rob the store, the one who pulled the trigger to kill. And so don't be a partner with a thief. Verse 25 says, The fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. And so do not fear what man can do to you. Do not fear what man might say about you. Don't fear even what they think about you. You know, not that you don't care about people, but your first fear is for the Lord, right? You want to be obedient to him. And so sometimes people say, hey, Manny, you shouldn't say that, and I say that. Other times people say, Manny, you should say that, and I don't. Hey, we're here, I'm here to please God, right? And that's where it has to stay. You know, we read often in the scriptures, in Luke 12, 4 through 5, Jesus said, don't fear those, fear those who can kill you, but fear the, fear the one who can cast you into hell. That's the one that you want to be consumed with. Verse 26 says, many seek the, the ruler's favor, but justice for man, it comes from the Lord. And so isn't it cool to know that you don't have to get an audience with the judge or that person that you think it's prominent, where it says favor right here, literally it means face. Many people seek the ruler's presence or face. No, you don't even need that. All you need is, is the Lord's presence. And you can do that every time you pray. Verse 27 says, An unjust man is an abomination to the righteous, and he who is upright in the way is an abomination to the wicked. And so for us as Christians, huh, it just nauseates us. It's an abomination to us. You know, you mean to tell me you're going to call the innocent guilty? And you're going to call the guilty innocent? Well, if the money's right, the rapist gets released. If he has a good lawyer, the killer is considered clean. The drug dealer who sold you know, the, the drugs to their children is set off scot-free. And when we see that, it's an abomination to us. But when they look at us, and like we said earlier, we just have to accept it. They hated Jesus, and they're going to hate you. But do me a favor. Don't make them hate you because you misrepresent Jesus. Don't make them hate you because you are obnoxious. If they're going to hate you, let it be because you are like Jesus and not yourself. Because I've seen it, and it kind of breaks my heart, where people, they know so much of the Bible, but for whatever reason, they veered off to the, to the right or they veered off to the left. They're not straight, and they're, they're kind of happy that people don't like them. But I've noticed it's not for the right reason. It's not. So I pray, you guys, that we would be uh, Christians with that witness that's like Christ, okay? So God, give us wisdom in all these things. Just think, if you read tonight and if it helped you not get angry this week, we should try to make that our goal, huh? Every word, every idle word is all yours, Lord. And we know that we can never have this wisdom. Know it or practice it were it not for the power of the Holy Spirit.